Bloodbath and Beyond, episode 10. I'm Casey Mitchum. And I'm Burton Cody. And today we're going to say more dialogue than they said in the entire movie, because we're talking about Nicholas Winding Refn's Only God Forgives. God forgives. Um, this is a it's a movie I like and I dislike together. It's an it's a fascinating failure, is what I would call it. Uh, how do you feel about it, Casey? You know, uh, I'm going to go ahead and just say um, that dissecting what I like and dislike about this movie, um, it requires more than just pensively staring at it. So oh. So, I'm going to jump right into, like, spoilery territory. Uh, so, fair warning, but that's just that's just the nature of this episode. Yeah. Um, this is a horror and action podcast. And this is a film that is kind of... It doesn't really... It straddles both genres, actually. But it's really not either. Well, and, yeah. you know, I, I think it's fair to just open up and say that the reason that you and I were even interested in this is because of the previous work of Nicholas Winding Refn. Yeah, Drive. Drive is one of my favorite films of the 2000s, just bar none. It is, it is a fantastic film. Like, yeah. I, it was one of the first movies I remember going to that year. I believe it was at 2011. Yeah. Uh, and just being blown away. Like, I had such... I had very low expectations because i didn't really i'd heard of refin i you know i'd heard of movies like bronson but i hadn't seen any of them but then walking into drive and just i don't know it, it was it was like a visual poetry that was just wrapped up into like an action candy coating yeah uh i had a very similar experience um i was i was on a movie crew i was i was an intern on a movie called anatomy of the tide and to my knowledge, hasn't been released yet. But uh, I was with the art director and a couple makeup artists, and we had nothing to do that night, thankfully. And they were all big Ryan Gosling fans. I really haven't seen a whole lot of Ryan Gosling movies. I like The Notebook, and that's about it. Um, and this movie looked really strange. It had this pink font. It kind of reminded me of, like, Risky Business. It's like the poster didn't even belong at this theater in... Uh, uh, Rockland, Maine, where we were. So we just walked in and saw it. I had knew nothing about it. I hadn't even seen a commercial for it. And I, it's like I loved it, but I, I was so confused about my feelings for it. It was like I just met like a really great girl. I didn't quite know how to say how much I felt, you know, how what I felt about her or something. And <laughs> then I just. I just loved the movie. I, I couldn't get enough of just thinking about it. It stayed with me for months, you know, and I bought the Blu-ray later on and revisited it, and I loved it even more. Me too. Uh, and I, I, I am, I'm kind of at that period in my life where I very rarely buy uh, every movie I see in the theater anymore. You know, like, I, I, I would venture to say that maybe out of most of the movies I see any given year, I'm only likely to buy two of them on Blu-ray. Yeah, like there's movies that really moved me, but this one, like I, I pre-ordered, I had to have it, um, you know. And it's, I don't know, Drive's success. It does have a lot to do with Refn, and it does have a lot to do with some of the things uh, that he does again, and only God forgives. But I mean, 
you know, one of those big things is just, you know, like the, we mentioned the beautiful visuals, you know, it's, these movies are very colorful. Uh, the, there's very little, I'm, I feel bad for praising this in Drive, because I'm going to complain about it in this movie, and Only God Forgives. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's, it's very minimal in its dialogue, but the motive, like, but in Drive, the motivations were very clear. Uh, they, were, they were very simplistic. I mean, you had a you had a quintessential man with no name with Ryan Gosling. You know, he's only called Driver or the kid in the whole yeah. movie. Uh, you know, there, there's a gorgeous uh, retro feeling soundtrack, even though all the songs were composed, you know, within like the last decade. Uh, They're very 80s stylish. Um, yeah. The great uh, but, opening song. Oh, man. So good. And there's just, there's some absolutely unexpectedly brutal moments of violence. Yeah. Uh, I every, The people I was with were completely shocked, including myself. And I, I like turned to my buddy and we go, why this is so violent why is it this way but it's so good yeah, yeah. it's all right you know i will go ahead right into the scene that always come that always i always think about when i think about the violence of drive yeah. and it is this it is the scene where they are playing that really sort of pretty love song in the elevator the elevator scene yeah and gosling turns to the guy that means to harm him and the woman he's fallen for and he stomps him to death. Yeah. And and in like a typical movie, this would have been like a couple hits, and the guy would just be down. Like there'd be, there would, but there would have been no visible damage. It's like watching pro wrestling, you know. Like, and I love wrestling, but you watch pro wrestling. Somebody takes a couple boots. There's no, there's no long term damage. Like here, like we we visibly see the man, you know, the man that he's pulverizing's head cave in, and he doesn't even stop. Then it just keeps going, and it makes you feel really uncomfortable because there's a point in violence where the hero stops being heroic and they just start looking like an absolute they look like they look as monstrous as the people they're up against mm-hmm. and i think i think that's it's a, it's almost beautiful in drive it, it was actually kind of the point this otherworldly boogeyman character uh like he's like physically powerful they can't stop him and he puts on this mask later in the movie that's Kind of like a hairless Michael Myers mask when he starts killing all the bad guys. Oh, yeah. And even if you listen to some of the music cues, they're very similar to the John Carpenter score. Like when he shows up to, with the hammer in the, the strip club, mm-hmm. it's just, it sounds exactly like something out of Halloween. Uh, and very it, very, uh, very synth-heavy. Yeah. Well, just when Refn mentioned that, it all clicked with me, all these little Halloween sort of uh, nods and... It's our, the best Halloween hero, movie since the original. Our hero yeah. is almost a slasher. Yeah, he's he's a he's he's a monster, you know. Uh, I I always I always felt like Driver and Drive was sort of uh, the man with no name by way of Steve McQueen. Yeah, or even uh, uh, Shane. In a way. Yeah, it's 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 very much like a Western hero, but just with sort of that Steve McQueen bullet, uh, you know, access to a car. Coolness, I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah, and, and I. I haven't read the original novel, but it, it does, you know, owe being mentioned that Drive was written by, uh, you know, was, a, was based on a novel written by James Salas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also, um, it, the screenplay was also written by someone else. So that was the first movie that Refn himself hadn't written. Yeah, uh, I think it plays to the strengths of Drive, or it demonstrates that, that 
it was based on a novel, so there was a much clearer story presented. There was a tighter focus on what every character wanted. Yes, and that, that leads us to kind of like one of the big problems with Only God for is we'll get to. Uh, but bef- right before we're going to get into like the plot, you know, the meat of the bones of uh, Only God Forgives, I will mention that Refn did a movie before Drive called Valhalla Rising. Mm-hmm. And I just watched it a couple days ago. And it has all of the problems that I had with Only God Forgives, like times three. Like, it's even greater. Uh, it's a movie with... The main character says absolutely nothing. And his name in the movie is given to him by a boy. We don't even know his real name. They just call him One Eye. He has one eye. And he's this Viking, and he just goes around just murdering the hell out of people. There's a part where he reaches into a man with his hands, and he yanks out his uh, innards. It's disgusting. But it's like, yeah, that's, that's reffing for you. So it was it was uh, before Reffin went Hollywood with Drive, and it's like, well, I could see with like Hollywood producer or you know a, a studio behind him, they're able to kind of rein in like the, the the things that make him a little more eccentric or a little too eccentric, uh, too experimental. Like there were good things with Valhalla Rising, but it's not a movie I can recommend to anybody. Sure, uh, and, and sort of we sort of mentioned you know where. Or rather, we were trying to sort of figure out where, you know, well, where does Refn come from? How does he even fit into the Hollywood system? And my understanding of the story really is that just Ryan Gosling had seen some of Refn's other movies and recommended him for Drive. He yeah. wasn't the original director. Oh, Refn said that uh, Gosling just called him up. Okay, there you it's go. as simple as that, yeah. He liked, I think it was Bronson. I haven't seen Bronson. I know that's kind of a cult movie. It's it's sort of the movie that a lot of people suspect launched Tom Hardy into the Bane role. Yeah, and then uh, I, th- I think it was uh, uh, Chris Nolan said that he hadn't even seen Bronson. He just liked Tom Hardy and something else. But there, there we go, though. I, but I yeah. do, do know that Bronson sort of established Tom Hardy as like a guy that could play like strong, brutal characters. Yeah, I think that's what led him to be uh, Mad Max. Yeah. Oh, future episode. Sure. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But yeah, so I mean, clearly, Refn is a man who has a very has, has a very uh, style that is all his own. He's a very thoughtful director. He's a very strong visualist. He's very cinematic. Well, and, and I think there's a lot to be said in that drive. Both drive and only God forgives are dedicated to uh, the famous Chilean director Alejandro Jodorowsky. Uh, Jodorowsky is. You know, he's he's the same. He's a great visualist, uh, very, a great stylist, but his stories never make a lot of sense. He's uh, he's so super reliant on abstract visual metaphor. Yes, and where you can derive any uh, tons of different meanings out of it, like like David Lynch at his more extreme. They're, they're, the the emphasis is much bigger on surrealism than clear narrative. Yeah, it's it's kind of counterintuitive. It's like. The more broad the visual metaphor, the more interpretations, the less accessible the movie is to a, a wider audience. So I, I think it makes sense then, you know, if unlike Drive, uh, Refn actually wrote Only God Forgives Himself, that the plot sort of becomes secondary to the imagery. And we'll, yeah. I guess we'll we'll get deeper into that once we get to uh, through the plot summary. Yeah, well, well let's kind of let's get right into it. Only God Forgives. Um. Okay, uh, so uh, Ryan Gosling uh, plays Julian, 
Uh, he's an yeah. American expatriate who runs this Muay Thai bot kickboxing club in Bangkok. But it really, that's just a front for a drug smuggling operation that he and his older brother Billy uh, are running for for some way for for a gang that's probably located elsewhere. I believe they're in Europe, uh, America, or Europe or something. Um, yeah, it's not really important. It's just it's never even it's never really even elaborated upon really. Um, but like many things. But Gosling's brother Billy uh, rapes and kills an underage Thai prostitute. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's caught by the Thai police, uh, namely the the other main character, um, Lieutenant Chang, who is played by. And I'm, I apologize to anyone who <laughs> knows any modicum of Thai. Uh, the the only the only Thai words I know are food related. So, uh, but Vitaya Pansringarm. Uh, I haven't seen him in a movie before. I assume he's probably a you know a reputable Thai actor. He's listed in being in uh, one of the new Isaac Florentine movies with Scott Adkins. Okay. Okay. So so yeah, I guess maybe I'll look he, out for him. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he I I think he's one of the best things here. Um, he's pretty fantastic in his role. But uh, right off the bat, we sort of see that Lieutenant Chang, I'll, even though he's a police officer, he sort of has a very unique approach to justice. Yeah. Uh, because rather than bringing in this man who has murdered a child prostitute, he takes the man to the girl to the girl's father, and allows uh, the girl's father to beat uh, Billy to death. Yeah, he, he has a he lets him do whatever he wants. He can just beat him up or kill him or whatever. But then he sort of follows like a Hammurabi-ish code because he cuts he cuts the man's arm off the uh, the father of the teen prostitute's arm off. Not for beating uh, Billy to death, but for allowing his daughter to continue to be a prostitute. Yeah. And this this sets off a chain of events with multiple, one side getting revenge for the other because Ryan Gosling's mother, Julian's mother, is played by Kristen Scott Thomas, who is unrecognizable in this movie. I would say she's kind of a, she's a hybrid of uh, Lady Macbeth and Donatella Versace in this movie. I think you're on the money with that. And I don't think that's an accident. <laughs> yeah, because she's this vindictive, strong-willed woman, uh, and she's she's uh, a lady Scarface. I mean, she's, yeah, she she's seems a, to be like behind the whole drug operation. Yeah, we we get the impression there is no one higher than her up the drug chain, wherever where whatever this front is. Yeah. Uh. So she shows up to collect the, the carcass of her other son. And moreover, to get revenge on the people responsible. And she's also really upset with Ryan Gosling for not init- you know, going right after this guy and killing him. Because, uh, oh yeah, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Ryan Gosling and his boys meet up with the, uh, the Thai man who killed his brother. And they let him go. Uh, at Ryan Gosling's request because he, his brother was a nasty guy who did murder an innocent, and rape an innocent girl. Something that his, something that uh, their mother is completely willing to forgive. Uh, when when uh, Gosling mentions that you know he raped and killed a girl, mom immediately goes, "I'm sure he had his reasons." Yeah, <laughs> one of several horrible things she says. Yeah, but you know, also, mom is very uh, stringent on um, 
Ryan Gosling's character always telling him, like, sort of just hinting that the wrong son died. Yeah, the there's this whole. Th- well, I mean, we'll get into this later. We're just kind of saying, saying the plot, but uh, Ryan Gosling has like a prostitute he's interested in mm-hmm. that he sees in a very bizarre, peculiar uh, sexual act where she ties his hands and she masturbates in front of him. This is for the adults, there, kids. Yep. Uh, and he, when he he introduces her to his mom, and immediately she starts verbally abusing her. Uh. As I, I don't really know where I'm going with this plot summary, but um, <laughs> uh, well, I don't think the movie does either, so it's okay. It, it does, but it does not make itself so apparent to the audience, and it goes so far. Being, it's this is not a plot-driven movie. It's not a character-driven movie either. It, yeah, it, exactly. Like it wants to be a movie. I, I guess yeah, we really should just, I guess, wrap up like the plot, but uh. Uh, there's revenge going on on both sides. Julian's mother sends out guys to kill Chang. And then Chang finds the guys who tried to kill him when they're unsuccessful. And he just murders the hell out of them. <laughs> yes, he does. And, like, he is, a, he is not a man to be messed with. He's invulnerable, which we'll, we'll get to later. Uh, well, I, in fact, I would I would go as right now. I would go as far as saying that the uh, the title "Only God Forgives" refers to Chang. Absolutely, Chang is the mythological like Superman, uh, untouchable tough guy that was shown in Valhalla Rising with the Mad Mads Mikkelsen character and Ryan Gosling's character in Drive. Yeah, Chang is Chang is the spirit of vengeance. He is the god of justice, and uh, allegedly this is uh, backed up. Because the only direction that the actor playing Chang supposedly got from Refn repeatedly was that before his scenes, Refn would whisper into his ear, you are God. Yeah, well, Refn has said in interviews flat out that he is God. He's yeah. the God character. He's not a religious man himself, but he's he's like, this is God. And uh, the characters of the movie also seem to know this, his uh, deputies. Because mm-hmm. later in the film, Ryan Gosling picks a fight with him he picks a fight with god and the deputies go they look at him sternly ryan gosling they go do you know who he is and so they get into a fight uh and ryan gosling i don't even think he touches him once he he doesn't land a single blow he doesn't stand a lingo he doesn't uh, land a single blow and chang beats the tar out of him he just ruins his face which is incredibly funny, by the way, because uh, Gosling did weeks, if not months, of Muay Thai training for this role. Uh, he <laughs> ate a traditional Thai diet. He followed he followed all the drills that kickboxers do. That you know, up to two to three hours a day of training, yeah. and he only gets this one fight scene in which he is demolished. Um, this is uh, it was one of the strongest scenes of the movie, actually, but uh, uh... yeah. Where am I going with this? Also, we, I mean, um, we have all we have in that scene. We have all the important characters sort of looking and watching, and then walking away from uh, Ryan Gosling after he's defeated. There, no, there's no one sympathetic to his cause. Yeah, I think was this before or after? There is a lengthy scene where I, this is after uh, Chang gets information about uh, Ryan Gosling's mother and the family through one of her henchmen. He tortures him. It, it takes like 20 minutes in the movie. It, it was an excruciating amount of time of torture. It was like 
saw and hostile torture right there. He keeps stabbing him with skewers. For some reason, uh, the place where he assaulted him had like every little sharp object you could imagine. Oh, Stabs him in the arms, stabs him in the legs, cuts his eyes out, Unshin Andalu style, and pokes his ears out. Uh, it was. It's it's pretty horrific. I really think Refn went a little too far with that. Uh, I, I, that's this movie's elevator scene. It is. It is. It, you, def- you definitely don't forget it. Uh, but this does lead Chang to confront... Um, what is Kristen Scott Thomas's character's name in the movie? Uh, Crystal. Crystal. Uh, he confronts Crystal, and she reveals that Ryan Gosling killed his father, her husband, and... Uh, and then she lets on even more about how she's probably had an extremely inappropriate relationship with her sons. Uh, it's very, it's hinted at very much that it was incest. Yes. Uh, Chang murders her with uh, his blade Mm -hmm. and Chang, Chang seems to uh, pull this blade out of nowhere. It kind of, I, we were watching it together and I was like, wait, they never really, they haven't shown where he pulls this sword out of he just pulls yeah. it from behind his back. It's a very interesting weapon too. I, I I'm sure it's some weapon from you know that it's some some sort of weapon involved in Thai martial arts. But yeah. you know the best I can describe it as is it's sort of like a, a katana machete. I was uh, about to say that yeah, it's like a katana machete. Yeah, that's really what it is. <laughs> maybe yeah, maybe but... it was a sword just invented for the movie. Uh... Um, it's... I, I'm sure it, it might be something very traditional. I, you know, I'm not a I, just like with guns. I'm not a sword expert by any uh, means. Me neither. I just know there's the Japanese sword, there's the Western sword, and then there's like a, you know a rapier fencing sword or whatever. It's about all I know. I, I know what they put on film. So this is my first time seeing this. We movie. we are movie guys. We are movie guys. So we yeah we know yeah movie swords. Yeah. Um, it's it's a very interesting weapon, and like you said, he he always seems to kind of just pull it from nowhere. Like it just comes like out of his back. Yeah. You never see a scabbard or anything. There's never there's never a sheath that's And visible. I'm guessing that's the point. It, it kind of relates to his deity-like status. Yeah. Because because you know, in spite of him being a cop, there are no consequences for him doling out the justice that he sees fit. Yeah, cops kind of do whatever the hell they want. I I think I even said that we were watching. Like it's like nobody seems to go police brutality. He doesn't bring people in for questioning. He yeah. just tortures you or kills you or spares you. Sure. Um, so after he kills Crystal, mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling shows up to the hotel room where she was. Yeah. And one of the strangest scenes in the movie, as if it didn't have any, didn't have any already, mm-hmm. he cuts open his mother in the lower abdomen yes. and he puts his hand in her. Yeah, he puts his hand in in, presumably in her womb. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And by the way, that, that is an acting choice that Ryan Gosling made. Yeah, Refn goes, what would you do? He goes, uh, I'd cut her open, feel around. You know, that's what the character would do. Uh, the movie is obsessed with hands. And uh, hands are seen as a, you know, a phallic symbol. Like, like Ryan Gosling has his hands bound during any kind of sex act. And... Yeah, he he's he seems unable to like touch a woman. Like he's like even with the uh, prostitute that he's really into, he'd rather be bound and just watch her masturbate yeah. uh, and just imagine touching her. But even when he imagines touching her, he sort of gets visions of his hands being chopped off. 
Yeah, th- th- that's the interesting thing of the film. And the movie ends with Ryan Gosling saving the life of Chang's daughter uh, from being murdered by one of Crystal's henchmen, and he kills the henchmen <laughs> because he realizes that's wrong. And then we're at the end of the movie now. Ryan Gosling, in an act of penance, offers his arms to Chang to chop off. Yes. And then the movie ends. And we well, we close on Chang singing at karaoke with an audience. I, of... I actually, yeah, every time... This is another thing to reinforce his uh, god status. Every time he dispenses justice, we cut right to Chang singing a very pretty sort of like Thai song in a karaoke club to uh, his deputies. And they're all kind of listening to him in awe. And it's supposed to be kind of like a religious ceremony. Yeah, I, I guess. I, I'm i sort of baffled by the presence of these karaoke scenes because there's several. I mean, it's... Oh, yeah. Look, and... where, well, look where they fall, though. It's right after he, like, kills or tortures somebody. So, is, I mean, is that like a cathartic confessional thing? I, I don't know. I think it's like the deputies, like, at a worship altar for him. Because it's very ornate. There's all these pretty lights and everything. No one ever moves. Like the, it's it really is just people arranged in lines. And it, I sort of thought that you know to me I thought like that technical aspect was the point of it. Just that Refn, you know, as a director was enjoying sort of staging all of these people to be completely still and against these like sort of gorgeous backdrops of you know very you know highly decorated karaoke bar you know like it's it, i would say it's the most beautiful karaoke bar you'll ever see yeah uh actually reference said it was a gay club oh because he said he wanted it to be like r- so really pretty you know so mm. what's the prettiest one it's the gay club um but and it bears mentioning too that Refin is uh colorblind uh he and says dyslexic that he- yeah, there you go. He yeah. says he can't see uh, mid colors, so uh, so in his movies, colors have to be extremely contrasting so that he can see them. Yeah, which ex- which would expl- sort of explain uh, the appeal of filming somewhere like Thailand, where there's just so much neon. Yeah, um, and we'll just talk about Refn in general. Uh, Refn is a self-described fetish director. Mm-hmm. He films what turns him what what turns him on, not. Totally necessarily, but what just, like, interests him the most. Like, that's what he wants to put on film. And like you mentioned earlier, this is neither a story-driven movie nor a character piece. It's it's, rev, it's reference fetishes on full display. Like, it's a more pure version of Drive, but it's like Drive without, like, the flavor of story and character. Because... The character's there, but it's not strong enough. The story's there, but it's not strong enough. The reason our little plot summary didn't take so long is because there's so very there's so little story to talk about. I mean, you could mention a movie like Gravity, which is a great film, which has the most simple story of all. It's like astronauts surviving after a disaster and trying to get back home. That's the story. It's a 90-minute version of uh, David Bowie's song about Major Tom, Space Odyssey. Yeah, yeah, totally. But... uh it's it's not quite it's not quite little uh, only God forgives isn't quite like these little vignettes of violence or anything that it wants to be like it's just kind of smack dab in the middle and that's why I say this film is an interesting failure. I think we can we can trace it right back to what you said. Refn is a fetish director. Refn yep. has a lot of 
things that are interesting to him that he wants to fit into a film and he takes them to the absolute extreme and i'm going to go back to what we said about drive where it was based on someone else's novel and it was written the script was written by someone else yeah and i have the same complaint about reffin and this is probably the only time anybody will compare these two people that i have with rob zombie <laughs> where i think i think they're both very talented visualists i yeah. think they're both really good at uh, getting across the aesthetic they're going for but i think they both need a writer to rein in those things that they obsess with uh i i agree with you uh there's really not much more to say with that it's it's just that when refin has more of a direction with a story it's more like a movie um or if he wanted to do a character piece like he's not quite Martin Scorsese or Juan Carawai level of because those guys, in my opinion, are the best at doing the character pieces. Mm-hmm. His his character isn't just isn't strong enough because there's so many. This movie is full of shots of just the character sitting blankly, and Refn, what I gather, is a director who likes to show extreme contrast, and that's very important with movies with creating tension, with creating juxtaposition, and like just montage the effect of montage we want to get super film theory ish but uh yeah. uh like it, the movie goes from like very pensive plain faces to like extreme brutality or just very garish colors um and it cuts very slowly you know and i do appreciate that like refin is a guy who does not like doing handheld stuff like drive was every bit of drive was on like a tripod or a, a dolly or, or some kind of rig. It was very camera was very still. I, I I'm so thankful for that in this day and age of the shaky cam action picture. Yeah, absolutely. I I I agree. I think that Refn is a is a technical master. Yeah. I think that he's. I I very much respect what he can bring to the table as a filmmaker. I just sort of wish this film felt a little less boring. Yeah, because this is fetishes fetish on film. We'll just say that it's fetish on film. It it doesn't make the movie interesting enough for like those still images. Like we'll take a movie like two thousand one for example, or just really any Kubrick picture. It's a those are very slow movies, especially two thousand one. But two thousand one is so engrossing from every single frame to me because of what's happening is so interesting well, and the cinematic language is stronger. And two thousand one generates this sense of wonder. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it it touches your imagination. Uh, I mean, only God forgives at least triggers a, an emotional response. Mm-hmm. Like that's why this movie is still interesting to me, and that's why it, it it still had me thinking well after it was over and days later. Whereas a movie like, uh, it's kind of weird actually. Like a movie like Gravity, I kind of forgot about it like a couple days later. And I'm not saying that just because I'm recording an episode about it on our show, but gravity doesn't didn't like capture it didn't trigger like any emotional responses out of me really. That was a movie to admire because it was like an efficiently told story and there was really great effects in it and like, you know, technical aspects that was very admirable and everything. Uh at least only God forgives gave me like an emotional response, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, all right. In this movie, Ryan Gosling has 22 lines of spoken dialogue over 90 minutes. Yeah. 
that, that is that is very little. Um, and it sort of reminds me uh, of something that the uh, the comedians on Comedy Central, Key and Peele, said, which they referred to as the Ryan Gosling <laughs> School of Acting, in which Ryan Gosling will make a face and his acting depends on you knowing exactly what the movie's about. When they tell when the script tells you what the movie's about, like, you know, it could say he's sad because this person died and he wants to, he wants to accomplish this. All Gosling has to do is just look at the camera very sadly. And you fill in all the gaps and you go, Oh yeah, that's totally what he's thinking about. It can be the same look from movie to movie, but if they tell you what he's thinking, then you understand completely. Oh yeah, that's absolutely what Ryan Gosling's thinking about. And I got that with drive. I yeah. did get that with Drive. Like I, I got that with Drive while I was watching the film. I didn't get that with Only God Forgives while I was watching the movie. You know, in retrospect, while we're discussing it, I sort of understand a little more, but I didn't feel anything watching him while the film was running. It just felt like he was pensively staring into the abyss. I mean, I I think that was kind of the point, though. But it's like you can only do so much of that to keep the movie interesting and the movie just does too much of it and not it, enough of like something else. This movie needed more dialogue. I mean, it just at least some establishing dialogue to make me care what these people are doing. Like I am, I am completely behind Chang as this instrument of justice because at least he had, at least he brings some tension to the film. It, I, I love Kristen Scott Thomas in this movie because she is so, so just nasty. Yeah. She's such a commanding presence. Yeah. I mean, you know, going back to what you're talking about with the the sort of weird Freudian Oedipal stuff, I mean, she explicitly blurts out a line of dialogue during this really awkward scene where Gosling drags his prostitute not-girlfriend on a date to meet his mother, and the mother's going on and on about how huge her dead son's penis was and how Ryan Gosling's is only okay in comparison. I mean, it's... (laughs) It's so squicky and awful, but she delivers it because she's because I mean because that character's given the room to grow on screen and she had a great introductory scene too where she's checking into a oh, hotel. Yeah. You see immediately she's a really nasty lady. Yeah, she's she does not accept that the hotel policy says you can't check in mm. until three p.m. Yeah, yeah, it's I mean so she's dynamite, but she's dynamite because she gets to be. I mean. I, I see what you mean, and to have a character like Ryan Gosling's, where he's just, he's obviously in a lot of personal torment, and he like he's traumatized by whatever his childhood was like and the lifestyle he lives. It's it takes a very very skillful director and certain amount of like you know skill with montage to really convey that character and make him strong to the audience and likable and relatable in a way. And this movie, that's where it really fails. Well, and, you know, I will, you know, I've sort of made fun of it, but I will give Gosling credit. I mean, the the face that Gosling is good at selling every time is haunted. Yeah. Like, and and I see that here. And, you know, and given the past that we know, you know, which implies a lot of incest, a lot of berating by a dominant, by, you know, by his domineering mother, you know, that the fact that he murdered his father, like, it's, it's all there. But I still don't, like... The character still won't let me in. I mean, Drive. You know, he had the same. He, I, I, he probably had the same amount of uh, dialogue in Drive. But Drive was better at little, using all the side. 
a little more. Yeah. But Drive was better at establishing what every character wanted. Uh, a movie, it's important for a movie to have like a strong emotional connection. That's the most important thing. I mean, like whether it like makes you just feel mushy inside or if it freaks you out, excites you, whatever. Um, because the characterization is so much stronger in Drive, because it, it cuts between like actions. Like Ryan Gosling does a lot more mm-hmm. than just be violent guy in Drive. Well, I, I think... I think to, then too that's something we need to talk about here because, I mean, other than the scene where he gets his ass kicked by Chang, I mean Gosling. Gosling has a couple scenes. I mean he like he, yeah. you know he shoots to death the guy who murdered his brother. Mm-hmm. He uh, you know saves Chang's daughter at the end of the movie, but mostly I mean mostly he sits around kind of moping. Uh, but you know at, at least with Drive we had all these great sort of car action scenes that were full of tension. You know like uh, the, like the first uh, the first five or ten minutes of Drive are visual perfection because it's just yeah. it it. Because it makes you feel that it makes you feel the tension of him trying to. You're right there the with him in the danger. Yeah, you're exactly. You're. I mean, you're literally in the car. You see everything he sees, and it generates more tension than I. I think I've ever felt from a car chase. You know. Um, yeah, the whole car chase was filmed from inside the car, which is pretty novel when you think about it. But in this movie, unless Chang is showing up and doling out his justice, I don't. There's no. There's no thrill to it. There's no. There's no thrill that makes any of this catharsis meaningful to me. The you, you can't it's because you can't identify with him that and it doesn't make you care. And that's like, you know, it's another problem with the movie. Um but I I, but, I, I was going to mention okay, the script, how 30 pages were missing. Mm-hmm. Uh Refn was with his family staying in Bangkok to shoot this thing on location. And like his daughter claimed to be his youngest daughter was claiming to like have hear voices or something, and so like the production manager in Thailand called a shaman and they showed up and deemed that the place they were staying was haunted, and that inspired uh, Refn to keep the make the movie even more mysterious and up to a uh, personal interpretation. So he threw out like thirty pages of the script. So he 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 really embraced sort of the Far East as this uh, mythical place. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in the beginning, with like I was talking with like he's obsessed with like strong contrasts. Like he wanted to do a Western, but in the Far East. Mm-hmm. That's what was appealing to him in the first place with the project. But see, I I don't necessarily get Western with this, other than sort well, of the vengeance uh, subplot. The movie reminds me a lot of Peck and Paws, Pat Garrett and the Billy and Billy the Kid. Like okay. Pat Garrett is Chang, and mm. Billy the Kid is kind of Ryan Gosling in that, and that like the eventual punishment of Ryan Gosling and Billy the Kid, um, it's really similar. Like, and it's almost in a, in a way, uh, Pat Garrett doesn't like really want to dispense the justice on him because he knows Billy's a good kid. Well. He knew Billy like in a previous life and he's like reluctant to murder him. I should say he's not a good kid. He's terrible. Uh, so it, it reminds me of Chang and like the eventual pursuit. And both movies have a very, they're not very strong on plot either. And they're actually, both movies are kind of a, a misfire for both directors. But it's interesting to relate the, bo- relate the two of them. 
I, well, you know, then I guess, you know, if we're going to go Western, I, what you say makes sense. And then yeah. it makes me think about things like uh, John Hillcoat's movie, The Proposition, which is that Australian Western uh, written by Nick Cave. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah, which lots of awful things happen to people. Hmm. But it's sort of just very slowly paced. Or even uh, Cormac McCarthy's novel Blood Meridian. Yeah. Uh, which kind of just meanders along through a lot of horrific scenery. Vignettes of horror. Although uh, I would I would argue that uh, McCarthy's prose sort of out-horrors Refn. <laughs> so I was a little more enthralled while I was oh, reading yeah. that one. Was it like Blood Meridian? Like two pages in, people are getting their eyeballs gouged out. And, and there's lots of people being scalped. and Yeah, yeah. Just horrible, horrible things. Um, Chang, in a way, is kind of like a distilled action hero, like the strong, silent type, you know, mm-hmm. like that's what he is. And he solves all of his problems with horrible violence. I I, I mean, if there's like a strong action movie connection, I think that would be it, because I, I think in each of like Refn's movies, like from Valhalla Rising to this one, they're kind of a comment or his take his purified version of an action hero. Well, you know, I, I think that goes back to what it, my, to my comment about um, Drive and the elevator scene in which, you know, we are supp- in a normal movie, we would see, like, Gosling being heroic and getting a couple hits in and just leaving the guy knocked out. Instead, he yeah. caves his head in. I mean, in a normal Asian action movie, a character like Chang would just be a well-meaning super cop that's going to knock these people out and dole out, you know, dole out some sort of kung fu karate justice, but not not, or, you know, even in the case of a John Woo movie, he shoots you a couple times and you go down, and that's that's really scary, but it's not really something that we don't expect a real cop to do, you know, like, of course Wu takes it to excesses beyond the beyond the pale but well, this movie even had kind of a, a hard-boiled moment where the bad guys with the uzis kind of they take out a bunch of innocent people but chang is the only one that and a couple deputies are the only ones that survive mm-hmm. but I, I guess this is kind of a postmodern uh way of dealing with that where the, the super cop is a monster i mean yeah. the, the guy who the guy who solves uh solves crimes in this manner is just as monstrous as the criminals that he'd put away. But in the same time, I think we're almost, I don't know. I think we're almost expected to kind of cheer for Chang. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it, a character like Chow Yun-Fat's inspector tequila would be a terrifying individual. Like imagine like a cop and it's listed as like, he's killed 2000 triads, something absurd like that. Yeah, you'd be a little scared of the guy. Absolutely. And, and Chang, in a way, is a scary guy too. I wouldn't want to meet him. Absolutely. I mean, Chang pretty much comes out as like the Asian equivalent of a Sam Jackson character by the end of this. And I mean, Sam Jackson, Pulp Fiction circuit. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He's just, you know, he's he is a brutal badass that you do not fuck with. Yeah. Um, I, I in fact I I love. Uh, the scene, and this goes back to the super cop talk. Mm-hmm. I love the scene where they attempt, where the people hired by uh, Crystal attempt to do a drive-by on Chang and his deputies at a restaurant. Yeah, and and Chang just chases one guy down relentlessly. Yeah, like the Terminator. Yeah, I mean, like he's even cutting him off at alleys. Like us, I mean, it goes back to uh, what you said about. Refn referring to um, 
Gosling character from Drive is, you know, like a Michael Myers Halloween type. Yeah. You know, like he's he's cutting him off in alleyways, like something out of a Friday the Thirteenth movie. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, uh, we, we 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 follow. We follow Chang, so we see how he does it, but I'm sure to the guy he's chasing, it's almost like he's just magically appeared in a place that he he shouldn't even be yet. Yeah, even, I don't think, uh, like the T-1000 when he runs, I don't even remember his mouth being open while he's running. He's kind of otherworldly. He's not breathing. Yeah, it's, just... yeah, it's kind of like a black dynamite where he's doing his kung fu, and he like punches one guy, and the guy runs away to the other side, and black dynamite's right there on the other side <laughs> of the room. <laughs> That's what it reminded me of. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. uh, if that movie had any humor, it's a pretty humorless picture. Another problem. You need a little humorous levity, if you will. And, yeah, I'd, and I, I would have forgiven that too if I just if I felt a little more engaged. Uh, yeah. Um, that's really mostly what I wanted to say about <laughs> only God forgives. Uh, how would how would you feel like recommending this movie to people? That's a tough one for me. Um, in talking about it, yeah, I find that I, I find that in like dissecting it with you right here, I was way more interested in it than I was the entire time I was watching it. Like I, I think it's a really fun movie to discuss. And, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and I, and I think it's uh, a trial to sit through. <laughs> it's a trial to sit through, and it's Refn is one of the best visualists we have in film right now. Like I, you know, out of, out of the new generation, you know, like let's exclude like the living legends. Yeah. Like directors under or around 40 and under. Right. Yeah. Guys, guys that are just coming up and really starting to make a name for themselves. I mean, he's, he's right up there. Like the man makes visual paintings and they're beautiful to look at, but I feel like, watching only god forgives Hmm. i am watching a master painter work but then i'm just watching that painting dry oh (laughs) yeah so i i mean i would say you know if you if you really want to you know if if you really want to see it you know by all means i won't stop you but i unlike drive i'm not driven to see this again hey uh approach with extreme caution uh, the bottom line for me is with this movie, uh, it's like a director who's very, very talented. He's very, very smart. He is allowed to do whatever he wants on the movie, and he ends up making a movie that's extremely hard to sit through at times. Like a movie that's not interesting to anybody other than himself, you know? Um, and with the movies, you, you got to you got to play to your audience uh, just enough, man. You got, you can't, you don't have to be like Mr. Please all, but you got to think about telling either telling a good story or making a very, very strong characters that audiences can identify with. And this movie doesn't quite do either. It's like I said earlier, it's, it's him just putting all his fetishes out there and forgetting a lot else. It's very well thought out in many ways. But as a movie, it doesn't quite work. So, if you really like Refn, you may like this movie. If you all right, if you like Valhalla Rising, you'll probably love this movie. 
or Bronson or any of the other reference I haven't seen that yeah. he himself wrote. Yeah. So, but uh, if you're if you're looking tough. for an experience akin to Drive, do not recommend. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, totally. So, um, not a buy. <laughs> this is a rental. This is. And I would even I would even venture to say if that. Yeah. I, I think you could I think with this movie you could look at stills and be just as involved. You could just be as thoroughly involved with the character. That's that's a fair that's a fair assessment. So um with that said, we're gonna kinda change things up next week. Cause mm-hmm. next week what are we doing? Oh, uh well, we're going to uh, talk about the camp classic, Jane Fonda in... Barbarella. <laughs> From 1968. Uh, it is on Netflix Instant Q. And Same. we're also kind of mentioning it, too, because Refn has talked about remaking it, possibly. It may end among up Among like, a lot of other things. Among, yeah, even Logan's Run, which he said he really wanted to do but dropped out of. I think he would have made a cool Logan's Run remake. That's one of the few sci-fi movies I can think of where I would not have a problem there being a remake existing alongside, unlike RoboCop, of course. Although his next movie is a, is, uh, a movie called I Walk with the Dead, which is sub- reportedly going to be a horror movie with an all-female cast starring Carrie Mulligan, who was the uh, the main uh, female lead in Drive. And again, just like Drive, he's not writing this one. So I'm a little excited about that one. I, I would, I'm gonna really love to see where that goes. It's coming yeah. out in 2015. I'm sure if this podcast is still going, God willing, we'll cover it. Totally. Um, it sounds like a really cool idea. And Refn hired a female playwright to write the script because he's admitted to his, or he feels like he has shortcomings writing women. It's probably true. Uh, I mean, there's certain great directors who can't write women. John Woo, clear example. I don't think I he'd think... write a woman to write, save his life. I think he wrote a really interesting female character with Crystal in this film, but she's so blunt and she's not there enough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I don't, I think if he wants to develop ap- appealing female characters, he's going to need some help. Yeah, totally. Um, so I am looking forward to that movie. I hope it's good. But for the main part, you know, we encourage you guys to, uh, you know, if you have Netflix instant or you have the means um, to go check out Barbarella because uh, we're both going into this blind. I have never watched Barbarella. Before. I've, I've known of it. I know it's a cult movie. I've never seen it, though. Yeah, I, I know of its reputation. You yeah. know, I've, I've heard about it thousands of times. But th- but, you know, only for the show have I really uh, hit that point where I, re- I want to read it and find out. Yeah, totally. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Could be a terrible idea. Could so, be you know, idea. hey, go ahead and watch it ahead of time so that we don't have to uh, warn you about the spoilers. We still will, but we don't have to. Yes. So, at your own risk. Uh, as always, I am Burton Cody. I'm Casey Mitchum. So, this is Bloodbath and Beyond. We'll see you all next time. Stay bloody. เธอคือความฝันในใจฉันเพียงความฝันที่สั้นไกลดึงคว้าดาวบนฟ้า